0: Hey, brewery lovers, welcome to the podcast. Adam and I are here today in basically North Rockville. Durwood. Durwood, Maryland. Uh, We're here at True Respite Brewing Company, but today we're not here to talk about True Respite Brewing Company. Today we are here to talk about the supporters of Maryland Brewing Pack, which is the political action committee of the Brewers Association of Maryland. We are here today with Brendan O'Leary, who is the Secretary treasurer, yep. treasurer of the PAC to learn a little bit about advocating for breweries in Maryland, the political landscape of brewing and craft brewing in the state, and to find out how folks here can get involved to support brew- craft brewing in Maryland. So Brendan, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate your taking the time out of this lovely Friday afternoon to to tell us about uh, the Supporters of Maryland Brewing Pack. Would you give us a quick sort of introduction to, to what it does and how it works?
1: Yeah, so the pack is uh, an organization that donates to the campaigns of politicians. Super simple. In a nutshell, that's what happens. The reason it's important is because politicians have a ton of people they represent, and there's no way they could you know, review every single constituent's requests. Um, They can't take every issue. They can't take an hour to meet with a person for every single issue. So what ends up happening is they go through their list of donors and say, okay, these are the people I absolutely must take some time to listen to because they're supporters of my campaign. And if I don't, then maybe they won't support me next year. So um, there's some misconception where people think you're buying votes. That's not necessarily true. You're buying time you're buying the opportunity to sometimes quite literally sit at the table and have a conversation with a politician about the things that are important to us. Um, it seems like for people who follow the industry that, of course, everyone knows the issues affecting brewers and how that, you know, ripples throughout the whole industry and, and Maryland's economy and this, you know, like we we all feel like we have some grasp of it. But the truth is that um, it's much more complex than we think. There are a lot of subtle nuances and how these things go forward, and it's important for us to have a direct voice with our with our politicians.
0: I totally agree with everything you just said. I've worked in politics for uh, twenty years, and a lot of people nowadays have a rather negative view of political action committees, PACs, and, and sort of think of them as somehow being sleazy. Or or under the table, kind of like you said, buying votes, when in fact what they really are are just methods of getting the attention and getting the time with elected officials in order to be able to get your perspective on legislative issues in their mind, right?
1: Yeah. I, I Personally, I've told this before on many other appearances that I don't love this system, but it's the system we have. And if we want change, we must partake. So yeah. That's that's true.
2: I know Peter Francia is also working very hard to get changes in the brewery laws. Mm-hmm. Do you, Does the PAC work with him at all as well?
1: So the PAC is a subsidiary of BAM. BAM is the Brewers Association of Maryland, which is our trade group that represents all brewers, or at least all participating brewers, which is nearly every brewery in the state. Um, Peter's initiative, Reform on Tap, is something that he has undertaken of his own volition. Um, he has become a champion of the industry. Uh, he's out there, you know, waving the flag and and screaming rah rah rah. Uh, the issue with his approach is that it's it's very bold, it's very brazen, it's very all in, and it doesn't leave a lot of room for compromise. So, you know, I absolutely think he's his heart's coming from the right place. He's right in all the assertions that he makes. My fear, personally, is that it's just too much, like it's too much change too fast to where you don't really get um, the opportunity to have a real discussion when you've ticked off all the people who are considering making the law changes in the first place. So um, at the PAC, we are focused on taking a more measured approach. We are not standing in the way of Peter and his reform on tap, because like I said, he's right about the changes that need to come. It just... Our, our approach is different. Well,
0: let me pull the conversation back a little bit because I think many of our listeners may not know the details of sort of what is exactly happening in the le- legislature uh, in Maryland, what Peter Frencho is doing and, and what that approach might be. So would you just sort of walk us through what sort of the top main issues that the craft brewing industry is dealing with in Maryland from a legal and legislative
1: perspective? Yeah, absolutely. So um, <clears throat> we have uh, the three-tier system, which means there are manufacturers, a.k.a. breweries. There are wholesalers or distributors who you know, take the kegs, um, deliver them to retail accounts. And then there are retailers who sell the beer to end customers. That's three different tiers. In our system, um, there are laws called franchise laws that, by law, govern how manufacturers, a.k.a. breweries, how we structure our relationships with the distributors. So it's extremely unfair, it's extremely unbalanced because, um, for example, so a franchise law in Maryland says that once I've made a relationship with a distributor, even if for six straight months they are delivering my product of poor quality, they're not following our quality control procedures, they're not meeting our expectations for quality, Um, They have six months from the time that we make our first complaint to when they tell us how they plan to fix the problem. It's not even six months to fix the problem. It's six months to tell us how they plan to fix the problem. And as a small business owner, six months of of -of out-of-spec service or six months of poor customer service or six months of poor quality can just devastate relationships with, with retailers because... They don't know whose fault it is or what, you know, what's causing bad quality to show up. All they know is, I order True Respite beer, and it shows up bad. Therefore, I am not going to work with True Respite anymore. Obviously, that's a, a horror story on the extreme end, but it's not unheard of. Like These things happen. Um, there are plenty of stories in other places where franchise laws exist, where these sort of nightmare scenarios lead to breweries having to actually file for bankruptcy. And dissolve their company in order to be able to break a franchise contract so that they get the opportunity to start over. Wow. Instead, what we're asking for is let contract law dictate the relationship between a brewer and a distributor so that if our distributor is not pushing our brand and they're not meeting the sales numbers or they're delivering with poor quality, we have the opportunity to say, hey, thanks for your effort, we're going to choose another distributor who more closely aligns with our needs. And it's like any other business relationship. It should be a partnership where both sides benefit and you work together. Um, but the way the laws are currently structured, it's completely one-sided. The brewers are powerless and it's all dictated by law. Wow. It just
0: This is probably a digression that you may not know the answer to, but I'm just curious whether you know sort of how that unbalanced system came into being.
1: Was it a post-prohibition type of scenario? Yeah, uh, so the history on all this, I'm a little fuzzy on. I know that it was hugely influenced by prohibition. I think there were fears of um, like a large brewery coming in, uh, getting a distributor up and running. The distributor catches up with this huge brewery, and then if the brewery decides to just abandon that distributor, well, you've just sunk a massive... Company that you know simply for the sake of the brewer's whim or fancy. So you know it can be unbalanced in that direction as well. Um, but the truth is, in most industries, the success of your business is predicated on writing good contracts. And if you make a crappy contract with your with a manufacturer or a distributor. Yeah, that's danger for your business, but that's capitalism. That's how the system works. Right. You know what I mean. Write a smart business model, make smart business decisions, run a successful business. It's it's really pretty simple.
0: So, are there any um, specific? I mean, so that that's sort of the broad issue: these laws and the way it's built into the law that distributors have this sort of upper hand in in a business negotiation. Are there any specific tactical things that you guys are planning on on doing in the next legislative session?
1: Tactics makes things. I don't particularly like that word because it makes it seem sneaky. Like I'm in a black turtleneck collar with a right. you know a, a hook that I'm shooting on a rope over a building to swing in a dark alley and Let smash me ask in the a, a window. Like yeah. Let me ask the question uh, a different way. Um, are
0: there particular legislators that you're working with more closely uh, on getting these laws changed?
1: We have legislators who are sponsoring bills for us more so than we've had in the past because awareness is increasing. And um, the grassroots effort, um, just getting to know the people who are writing these laws, we've really inserted ourselves in the process in a concerted way for the first time just over these past few years. So while wholesalers and retailers have been spending ungodly amounts of money and, and spending all kinds of time with the legislators, we were just kind of happily minding our own business, um, and we've decided to, you, know, stick up for ourselves. And so we're making a concerted effort to do that, and we are seeing success. On that front, it's slow, but it's measurable.
2: Are there any particular successes you've had in the past that I guess you're prouder of or that you think are very important?
1: Our successes recently have been successes and failures simultaneously. So, um, you know, I'm not sure how popular this opinion will be with some of the brewers we have out there, but House Bill 1283 did make some concessions that were beneficial for the industry. Um, It also had some that were really not so great. And so it's easy to focus on the negatives like, oh, it's the system is still so unfair. 1283 really didn't solve most of our big problems. And that's true. But, you know, there, there were some parts of that bill like increased tap room limits that are going to help some folks. So um, our successes have been small. They've come with, you know, failures, I would say, with setbacks in simultaneous situations. But they're coming. Our, our successes that are building towards something positive are coming. It's happening now. I can see it.
0: Well, that's good. Then that's, in my experience, often how just politics, especially state legislative politics, often works, is that you you, you take three steps forward and two steps back. through the process but over time
1: you're still making advances we have the advantage of being right i say that without any hesitation fairness in in a in the market is really what our entire economic system is is predicated on and this market is not fair so when people start to understand how this is structured and what we're up against it's easy to gain support when we start actually singing our song you know what i mean
0: yeah absolutely So how can uh, folks get involved or
1: help support the work that uh, you guys are doing? So there's a few ways to do it. As a voter, obviously take into consideration the stance of your local representatives when you head to the ballot box. So voting is number one. Put people in who support local business, who support craft beer. Um, Also important is involvement with the pack. So um, I have a friend, Thomas Gideon, who does the Peculiar Character podcast, right? and he phrased it in a way that really made sense to me. He calls it voting plus. So you do your vote, right? You've gone to the ballot box. You've said, okay, I want to put people in place who are going to be beneficial, and I am going to purchase a ticket to the VIB festival. I'm going to go out to my local brewery and talk to my local brewery owner about the issues surrounding the pack and ask them how I can help. Or how I can help just that particular brewery grow, spread the word for events. You know, the growth of each of our individual members makes us collectively stronger. So that is something that is important. And lastly, um, if you really want to go the fun route, buy a ticket to VIB, which is a, a festival that we had originally planned to be tomorrow, mm-hmm. October sixth, and instead we've had to delay into um, 2019. We had a lot of competition for big events. We tried to plan it in a really short amount of time, and uh, I think we we bit off more than we could chew on the organizational and promotional side. Right. So there was a ton of interest for the event, but as it got closer, we realized, oh man, we really need to give this a little bit more time so we can properly get out and promote this thing. So all the money raised from ticket sales to that event are going uh, straight to the pack, which is going to allow us like we talked about, to have a seat at the table and actually have face-to-face conversations with the people who are writing The Lost.
2: Has that been rescheduled yet? Like, is there a new date?
1: There's no firm date, although okay. we are eyeing February. Okay. I'll throw that out there. Well, we
0: will certainly help you guys uh, spread the word about that. Uh, I'm very selfishly kind of glad that it got moved because now not only can uh, does is the chances that I can attend greater but also, it gives us some time to help you guys spread the word, uh, and we'll talk about it in upcoming episodes, as well as we have a daily podcast that comes out called the DC Daily Brews that sort of runs through everything happening in the area every single day, and we will make sure that that, that people know that it's co- not only coming, but when it
1: gets really close, that they should buy tickets. Ah, thank you. Yeah, that's a, that's a big one.
2: So I know there's a lot of state issues, but there's also a lot of other issues that like Montgomery County, where it's the county controls all sales of alcohol. Do you all work on that level as well, or is it strictly state level?
1: That is a really interesting question, and there's a lot of complexity to that answer. I will try to simplify it to say this. The BAM, not the PAC, but BAM, the Brewers Association of Maryland, is in touch with a lot of local politicians at the county level because Maryland regulates the counties through the state legislature. You actually change county liquor laws through annapolis's general assembly so there's it's complicated there i'm sure i'm boring people with that answer already (laughs) um so what i will say is that uh, as a brewery in montgomery county i can tell you that this county has a really bad reputation that is not entirely warranted any longer they have gone through hoops to try and increase the presence of breweries locally. And you mentioned that the DLC controls all the sales of alcohol in the county, which is no longer true. In 2014, they created the Class D retail permit that allows us, breweries who manufacture in the county, to self-distribute 3,000 barrels per year out in the state and bypass the DLC, even in Montgomery County. And we get 4,000 barrels per year Of on premise sales. So my tap room is essentially unlimited. I'm never gonna hit a 4,000 barrel cap. Um, They reclassified breweries as, I think, public works. So that exempts us from system development charges with um, WSSC. So when I put in all my drains and pipes and everything, it saved us $27,000 in fees that the county would have charged us. So there's all kinds of positive changes. They just passed a zoning change that's going to encourage farm brewery growth in the Ag Reserve. So Montgomery County has a bad reputation that is not deserved any longer. Things have changed here.
0: That's great to hear. Yeah, that's
2: really good to hear.
0: Excellent. So Maryland's a pretty good state overall to have a
1: brewery once we start addressing some of the distribution imbalances. Exactly. Franchise laws, self-distribution limits, those are the two big ones that really need attention, and then Maryland will be a much better place to open a brewery. But we are improving already.
2: One more question, more on the personal level. How did you get involved with the pack? What drew
1: you? Uh, I was asked to get involved with the pack. So I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old, and this business is less than six months old. Um, So this was not something that I went seeking. But when they came to me uh, and asked me to participate, I just felt a sense of duty, I guess. I I told you at the beginning of the podcast that I'm not super thrilled about how packs are structured in the first place. Because anytime that money is used to wield power, it can be abused. And so while the pack system is not designed for that, if you have enough money, you can make things happen. I can assure you that being the treasurer of our pack that is not happening in our in our in our <laughs> wheelhouse but you know we are up against a whole lot of money so um I just saw this as an opportunity to make a difference and um to have some level of you know control in how the funds are used and because I feel I felt like pack was a dirty word too and this felt like a way I could make sure we stayed clean. Not that it had been a concern prior, but it feels feels good to be personally involved and see the inner workings and, and really feel comfortable with that.
0: Well, I'm sure everybody in Maryland who supports craft beering and who supports small business appreciates uh, what you're doing to, to to take on the role um, treasurer, being treasurer of a pack. I've been a treasurer of a pack before, <laughs> and and it's a, it can be a daunting task. I mean, it's you're dealing with a lot, you're de- a lot of money that's not yours. It, however much money it is, whether it's millions of dollars or whether it's tens of thousands of dollars, it's not yours. And the legal strictures for how that money is accounted for are very, very strict in order to protect the public from sort of PACs behaving badly. So it's a lot of work. And, and and I personally really appreciate your taking it on.
1: Oh, thank you. I've, yeah. yeah, I appreciate it as well. I keep getting that feedback, but there's going to be someone after me and someone after that. So, that, you know, it's just... I'm just one of many. All
0: right. Well, that was a lot of talking about politics, and I hope that it didn't make too many of our listeners' eyes glaze over. But this is important stuff. We're talking about small business here and how small businesses compete in the marketplace and... And it's important for small businesses, particularly small businesses we love, like craft breweries, (laughs) to be able to compete fairly in the marketplace and be able to stay in business. And so this is all great stuff. But
1: let's
2: spend some time talking about more craft breweries. Right. We want to be able to get the great beer that we're used to.
1: Oh, yeah. We need to help support them. There are a lot of great breweries. That doesn't mean we can't have more. Absolutely. But let's talk about beer for a few minutes. Let's
0: talk yes, about beer. Let's. So we're gonna do, just so the listeners know, we're gonna do a full episode on True Respite and and come back and talk to the brewers and like do a proper, but we have been drinking some true delicious True Respite beer while we've been talking. So, Brendan, why don't you tell us about what we've been drinking and then we'll pipe in with our, our own sort of analysis, which is gonna be awesome.
1: <laughs> uh, sure. You guys have Grisette Vin Blanc in front of you. It's a sessionable French Saison with a white wine finish. It's got a decently hefty wheat bill, so you get that nice classic wheat beer uh, mouthfeel. You get that uh, haze, um, but you also get that nice Belgian-y, um, slightly spicy, slightly estuary uh, character. And uh, this beer in particular we call Grisette Vin Blanc because the finish is much like a white wine where your yes. mouth dries out. You get a little bit of salivary gland activity, yes, and you get very thirsty for that next sip.
0: I drank that very quickly <laughs> it's fantastic it it, it the, your description is is 100% right on it was this was really a complex sort of flavor throughout the throughout the mouth of the beer um, mouthfeel was fantastic and I just love that that dry white wine finish
2: yeah it really well went well with the wheat beer taste in the beginning mm-hmm. so you really get the wheat I got some banana you know, these classic wheat beer tastes, and then it just goes right into that great white wine dryness.
1: So what other beers should we be trying today? Uh, I have in front of me Week Away IPA. We call this one Vacation in a Glass. Um, we've had some success with our New England styles and getting that tropical and citrusy, you know, low bitterness beer with a good sturdy haze. Um so we were inspired by that because the flavors in those are wonderful, but the haze craze isn't going to last forever. Right. So um, when we were designing a, 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 well, I guess what what I'd call a flagship IPA, we wanted it to be something that um, it has that you know juicy character where you can pick the fruits out of it because it's just so delicious. And then we also didn't want to go too crazy on the bitterness because you'll turn off certain palates. So it's uh, moderately bitter. Um, very tropical uh very good clarity and brightness as you can see there 's no haze or anything here. The aroma on it is um uh, well it almost smells like uh, it almost smells like a new England style i p a it 's that really tropical fruity nose um, but it 's met with a more classic west coast approach um in the in the bitterness and in your in your malt clarity. Uh, We didn't add a lot of sweet malts or anything. There's no residual sweetness, no um, under attenuation, no, um, you know, like caramel or crystal flavors. This is all about the hops. Um, So it's really just a hybrid between a West Coast IPA and a New England style IPA. Nice. I'm looking forward to
0: that. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Well, listen, Brendan, thank you so much for joining us uh, on the podcast, for telling us about the supporters of Maryland Brewing Pack, and what you guys are doing to help craft brewing and 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 small businesses in Maryland really compete to ch- and change the laws to to make it easier for for breweries to really stay in business. Thank you for having me and let me drone on about politics and beer. <laughs> All right, uh, for our listeners, we will be back at True Respite Brewing sometime in the near future to uh, talk more about this new brewery, six months old brewery. Yep. Uh, and the beer styles and the tap room and all the things you hear about from us every other Wednesday. Thanks very much for listening.
2: And remember, always drink great beer.